Greetings to each of you today in the precious name of Jesus. I am thankful to be here again today and be in your presence, in your midst, worship with you. I, uh, though I would have to say, I was in very, very uh, much enjoyed my time in Tanzania. I told Tim, I said it carefully, but I told him if we hadn't just begun a new fellowship back home, I might consider staying. My wife heard me say it. Um, there's just one problem if I would want to stay I would want to uh, I would need to get more of the language you're just too handicapped so I'm going to just make a few comments here but uh, I do want to encourage us if the mission and the work is to continue which we hope and pray it will There's going to be need for more personnel in the years ahead. And if I could encourage us to put that burden on our hearts and even incorporate Swahili teaching into our experience where we can and maybe even in our children's lives so that five and ten years down the road they are at least partially equipped to go. Uh... If there's anything I'd like to do, and we'll try to do more of that later when we show the slides, it is to put a uh, fresh burden on our hearts for that. Uh, There's going to be needs for personnel, uh, even more on a short-term basis. Uh, When I say a short-term basis, a year or two, or even, uh, uh, I'm going to say a couple years for family-type situations, young couple, whatever. Uh, six months, a year, two years for single uh, young ladies or young men, different opportunities like that that will be a part of the uh, ongoing need of the, of the work there in the years ahead. So I just want to put that plug in now and uh, we'll probably try to keep, keep uh, that on our hearts as we continue on here in the home front that uh, as needs arise in years ahead, there's personnel that is prepared in heart. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest things that I sensed a lack in that we probably haven't kept the burden of the work on the hearts here um, so that there are those who are preparing uh, preparing to possibly serve in future years. One of the things that amazed me there was uh, Sister Rebecca Oberhauser. You all know that she's been there for a year now, uh, along with Trudy Schmidt from Ontario. And uh, if there's ever a girl that amazed me, she did. I did. I, I... She's a different girl. My wife said the same thing. She's 
She is uh, she has mastered the language. Both uh, Swahili and Sichela is communicating in Swahili and Sichela with the people which she is forced to with uh, the older folks that she is ministering to in the clinic. Some of them only know Sichela uh, and can only communicate in Sichela. So she's, she's able to communicate. I say she's mastered it. She's communicating quite well. She's very confident, and I say that. She's not hearing me say it. I trust she might be on the phone for all I know. Because they've done that. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> but uh, uh, she's very confident in her place, her calling, and is just moving right forward. Uh, just blessed me to no end. Just really blessed me to see that. Um, so, bring a good report there. Don't want to spend much time here. Do want to have a, a message here yet as well, but thought I'd share a few thoughts there. Um, if I were to capitalize on one highlight or two highlights, two highlights for me were the one, the chiefs, the gathering that we had at the chief's house, and the other was our Sunday service there in Mbeyev, our last Sunday where we had a morning and and uh, evening communion service, uh, all in uh, English and just with uh, uh, foreigners from America, you know. So we did enjoy that tremendously. <clears throat> you wash feet with a basin of hot water, a bar of soap, and a washcloth. That's how you wash feet in Tanzania, because like Marlon said, there's something to wash. <laughs> And we had a good, great time doing it. <clears throat> the, uh, yeah, I won't, don't believe I'll make much comment on that uh, event with the chief, but it definitely, Tim seized the opportunity there, the, uh, to uh, just, Call the chief's main men together and uh, bless them with a feast, provided the meal for them, and uh, gave a history of the work. The, uh, the chief's chairman, you know, we, the, the history was given from different perspectives. The chief's chairman shared their observation of Tim and his time there and the various points. Tim shared from his perspective. Uh, I, I was the honored guest and shared uh, our thankfulness to them for allowing Tim to be there, for providing a place for him to live, and, uh, and for receiving the message of the gospel that he has brought them. Of course, uh, there's... Uh, Different measures and where and how much they've received that, but uh, and then shared a brief uh, message with them from the scriptures. Uh, so it was definitely a highlight of my trip there. So praise God, Tim 
Tim has probably faced some of the most challenging times in the last year, as you know, with Simkunga and what turned up there in his marriage situation. Uh, so those were some of the most, you know, some of the most challenging times. But nonetheless, uh, they are encouraged. They are faith, faith-filled. And... Uh, and I'm encouraged. And I might just make a, a comment here about that uh, lamp and light uh, correspondence course. That he is just a recent development. Uh, you all know he was. Uh, they had traveled up to uh, Kenya uh, among the Beachy Mission there and related to them quite a bit and got this uh, lamp and light course from them. They are just in the process of getting it translated into Swahili, and some of the first books are done. And Tim is going through the sub through the villages there, in quite a distance out actually, and offering this course. And the day that Tim and I went out alone, he had uh, he had a pastor about almost two hours away by Picky Picky that we had gone to see. And he had uh, about a dozen men in a, in a room in his house there. And these men were from all different kinds of, quote, churches that are represented there in, in various parts of Tanzania. Uh, whether it was Catholic or uh, Assemblies of God or a Pentecostal. Uh, and the thing that we have to understand when we hear about other church names, there is very little reality of Christian faith in any of these churches. There, There's a name there. There's... There's boom boxes and, and, and noise, but there's, there's just hardly anything of reality. Well, he, in this particular village, the, 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 this uh, pastor had uh, drawn together a number of uh, young men, actually, and from a variety of these, quote, churches. And uh, when we, uh, Tim had taken like, I think about ten of these lamp and light uh, booklets along, and when he got there, this pastor already had ten men ready to sign up and another five also wanting to sign up, approximately five. And he didn't have enough of books with him, <laughs> which was a blessing because, you know, yeah, sure, we should add more books, but it was a blessing that... Uh... Now, will they all follow it through? It's a fairly extensive Bible study course is really what it is, discipleship course, uh, teaching, I'm going to say, the all things of Christ that generally aren't even touched in, in those kind of settings. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Now, Tim is, uh, is going to be checking their courses, and they're going to bring them back to him. So you can imagine if that, if that thing takes off, he's going to have himself some work cut out. Uh, I told him, I said, you know, what are you going to do if... if uh, this thing really takes off and you get a lot of... Uh, but it's a good thing. I mean, I, I was excited about it. I really, I, I felt like he has a tool in his hands that could actually be incredibly effective. Uh, I know they won't all make it. He, he charges them 500 shillings for the first book just to weed out the, the wannabes and find the sincere ones. But that that said, and 500 shillings isn't much. It's probably a quarter in your pocket or maybe even less. I even forget how it pans out, but it's not much. But, uh, uh, it is, well, I shouldn't say it isn't much. It is to a poor African. It is a lot. But uh, 
we, they won't all, they won't all, you know, it's going to be probably be over the heads of some that can't read well enough. Uh, and that is, of course, the problem we ran into in some of the uh, more poorer villages where reading is not, uh, they can't read. And uh, so how do you get the word of God into them if you can't read? So that is a problem in some places, but not, you know, that's, that's more of a minority problem than a majority. <clears throat> So God was good uh, in all of that. I'm excited about the work, excited about some of those new av- avenues that Tim may have. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the future of the work there. And uh, I'm excited that I uh, discovered that I have a trooper for a wife. I can take her all over the globe and she'll follow me. <laughs> she, uh, she did well. All right, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. <clears throat> if you uh, were here the last few times when I shared a message here, you know that I was in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I don't know, I guess Marlon will survive. He's been, <laughs> he's been hearing Ephesians quite a bit, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks here. But uh, I guess if it's good to hear it once, it's okay to hear it again. Today's text uh, begins in chapter uh, chapter one, verse. Uh, I believe we'll begin in verse fifteen, and to the end of the chapter. Paul here writing to the church of the believers at Ephesus, he says in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Today, this portion of scripture, I'd like to consider uh, God's desire for us as believers. Um, We notice this is Paul's prayer. He's praying here. He says that, uh, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, verse 16. After that, he heard of their faith, after that, he heard that they were... They had uh, believed the message of the gospel. They had received the message of the gospel, the message of Christ. Uh, 
That was exciting to Paul that they received it and believed it. But uh, notice that Paul wasn't content to stop there. You know, it is exciting when somebody receives the message of Christ, puts their faith in Christ, trusts Him for salvation. Um, That's an exciting thing in our own lives. It's an exciting thing in the lives of our children. It's an exciting thing in the lives of uh, those that we may be uh, evangelizing, whether it's here or abroad or wherever it is. That is exciting. There's no doubt about that. And like Paul says here, he ceases not to give thanks. And it is, uh, it's exciting. It's worth blessing God for when someone gets saved, gives their heart and life to Jesus Christ, surrenders to uh, the Lordship of Christ and endeavors to follow Him. But that's only the, only the beginning of, uh, of a journey of life. And Paul clearly indicates that here. He's not satisfied to just leave him with that, uh, could we say, dare I say, limited understanding. That salvation and just faith in Christ, uh, the blessed as, it, blessed as it is, it's only the, uh, it's only the, uh, the foothills of the truth. There's much more. To, uh, to be learned, much more to be discovered. And uh, so I think that is some of what Paul's heart here is. And as I thought about it, it was uh, when I first was pondering this scripture, I was thinking, well, you know, this is Paul's desire for the believers that they would have a, fe- a further understanding about God and Christ and salvation and our walk and our faith and all those things. But... You know, it actually goes beyond Paul. It's, it's God's desire. It's God's heart for us. It's only expressed through Paul, but it's God's heart for us. <clears throat> and so today I trust that we are here with a heart that is also ever desiring to learn. Uh, speaking of uh, foothills in, in Colorado, Colorado has a lot of foothills. And, you know, you see the foothills and it looks like uh, uh, kind of amazing. But as you keep working your way in through the foothills, there's always more beyond and uh, and more more majesty and, and greater beauty beyond. And if you just stop, park back a ways and just observe the foothills, well, that's all you're ever going to see. But if you go beyond the foothills and begin to explore the vastness of the mountainous regions, you'll discover much beauty. And that's the picture we get here. In this scripture, God desires us to go beyond the foothills, beyond the basics, beyond the the, uh, uh, the milk. Uh, you know, the new birth and salvation is actually the milk. It's the the first principles of Christ, as the Hebrew writer says. It's it's uh, it's where we all need to start, but we want to go far beyond that. Uh, and as we said there, in, in, uh, it's this way probably in a, in a lot of uh, evangelical Christian faith in our, in our own country. It's this way in, in other countries where the basic message is the milk of salvation, you know, of uh, uh, believing in Jesus and those kind of things. And, and, and uh, churches and, and pastors and people rarely get beyond that into uh, 
the, the depths of uh, the meat of the Word of God. <clears throat> makes, for, uh, makes for shallow, as someone has said, Christianity, shallow Christianity that is, a, is a, uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. I actually heard that very comment, I think word for word, this morning on, uh, may I say it here, WDAC. <laughs> uh, there, the, there was some comment uh, made by a pastor of some sort that uh, the American church needs to, I forget what his comment was, something about they need to go on in the... in. Uh, Forget his comment, but he made the comment that uh, the church has been a, uh, an inch deep and a mile wide, and you need to go on deeper depths, anyhow. So, <clears throat> just something I happened to hear and caught my interest. All right. So, the first point we like to look at here, uh, first of all, as we consider the fact that uh, God's desire for us as a believer is to go beyond the uh, basics and, and develop an understanding. We notice here that as Paul is praying in verse uh, 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And we'll just stop there. Those several uh, phrases there all blend together to... Uh, to give us God's heart that, you know, God does desire to reveal Himself and His truth and the depths of His, His truth to us. God does desire that. God is not in any way trying to uh, limit us in our understanding of, of Him and of truth. And, and uh, uh, He's not... He's not grudgingly try, uh, allowing us insights into Himself and into His truth and into His plan and into His design. He is, he is wanting to open the thing up. He is wanting us to, to uh, as this scripture says, to, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. He wants us to understand His, Him. His purposes, His design for life, His plan, His kingdom, His... He's wanting us to understand it. He is not uh, in any way trying to limit us so that we, you know, we know this much, but no more. He's not, that's not His heart. He is, He is, He is desiring by His Spirit, as it says here, the, uh, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, I think it was in the previous message that we talked about uh, in Christ. We have uh, verse 8 there of chapter 1, he, wherein He hath abounded toward us in wisdom and prudence, uh, in Christ that is. And here it says it in the knowledge of Him. I believe that's again Christ, that in the knowledge of Christ, in, in our knowing Christ, there is a wealth of wisdom that opens up to us if we walk in the knowledge of Christ or in a, in a growing knowledge of Christ, in a growing relationship with God, there's a wealth of wisdom that opens up to us. And it's God's heart and God's desire that it would in fact be that way. That we as God's people would be uh, in our walk 
uh, fervent enough and real enough in our walk with our Lord that there would just be that wealth of wisdom and revelation and understanding. Uh, almost, a con- yeah, I think we can say a continual uh, develop, uh, uh, growth and development of understanding in our hearts and lives as we walk with God. That is God's heart. Uh, it's His uh, His passion. Um, in uh, chapter three of Ephesians, in verse uh, eighteen, he says. Well, let's see, let's read verse 17 as well. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I'm not sure what we'll say when we get to those verses later, but those verses are loaded with God's heart in revealing Himself to us and His desire that we would understand. He's, here He's saying that uh, we would be able to comprehend. And that's again, that's a word of understanding. It's a word of grasping uh, the truth. It's a word of enlightenment. God wants us to comprehend it. God wants us to understand it. God wants our hearts to grasp the reality of the love of Christ in all of its breadth, depth, height, and with, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, we see through a glass darkly, but God is wanting us to, uh, His desire for us is that our hearts would enter into that revelation of, and uh, be uh, thrilled and, and challenged and encouraged by it. <clears throat> so let's be convinced of that. God is not withholding anything from us as believers. He is not. He is making it. Uh, abundantly available, his truth, his, uh, his revelation, his heart, his purpose, his kingdom. He is making it abundantly available to us. May we pursue it. May we embrace it. May we desire it. May we seek after it. I do believe... You know, in, in, in uh, just like I, I said earlier, God does not want to withhold it. I do believe that, uh, you know, it doesn't just drop in our lap, though. <laughs> you know, uh, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. There's, a, there's an effort needs to be put forth on our part to search out the truth of God, to uh, pursue it, to find it. Uh, as a treasure hid in a field, to first, to uh, to lay aside the distractions that would distract us from pursuing it and uh, and uh, pursue it. <clears throat> and we, you know, as this scripture says, wisdom and understanding. I do believe, you know, uh, we live in a changing world. We live in a changing world scene. Uh, and an exhilarating changing world scene in the last uh, hundred years. Incredibly exhilarating. You know, I believe God wants to give us in this generation and in this day, He wants to give us uh, the wisdom 
the, the revelation, the understanding, the spiritual insight that we need to live in this generation. He does. There's never going to be a generation that is so wicked that God doesn't want to have a people through whom He can dis, uh, reveal His heart and live out His heart through them and, and effectively. And uh, we're living in such a time, I believe. And let's be encouraged that uh, uh, irregardless of how fast the wheels of, of uh, time and change are turning, uh, we have God. And God has been from eternity past and He's already in, in the future. He's already there. When we get there, he, He's already there. He's been there from way back there. And so, uh, let's be encouraged. God is desiring to give us the wisdom that we need to live for Him and to be uh, effective as believers in today's world, in today's generation. <clears throat> God, is, uh, God is interested in our lives here today. <clears throat> Moving on here in this scripture, we notice in... Um, Verse 18 there, we already uh, highlighted on the first part of the verse, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And then he goes on to say that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. We just ponder that phrase for a bit. What is the hope of his calling? God desires that we would understand the hope of his calling as he, as he, as he stated here. Let's think about hope, first of all. What is hope? Do you have hope? You know, some of you, your young men walked out the door here this morning, and uh, you have hope that you'll see them at the end of the week again, right? There's something in you that has a confident expectation. Uh, that's what hope is. It's, uh, it's a confident expectation of something yet to come. Uh, I think I can safely say that while we were in Africa, we had a hope to be back here. A confident expectation. And here we are. It's, uh, it's realized. That hope is realized. I don't need to hope that anymore. That hope is fulfilled and realized. God desires that we would understand the hope of His calling. Uh, just a few scriptures that speak of a hope. Hebrews chapter 6 Verse 11 says this, and just breaking into the context, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Now, obviously, this verse is speaking of being faithful in our walk. Show, do show the, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. So there we have the, the, uh, the hope tucked away in that verse. If we drop down to verse 18 and 19 of chapter 6, we see hope again. I believe I'll just read verse 17. Sometimes hard to know where to break in a context like this. But wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability immutability of his counsel uh, 
confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here we have uh, a hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And uh, I'm going to keep a finger there. We'll take a quick look at a verse here in Colossians. In 1 verse 5, it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. There in Colossians, he says, he speaks of the hope being laid up for us in heaven. Uh, we have a full assurance of hope unto the end. Uh, we have in Hebrews here, uh, verse 6, 18 and 19, uh, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So what is that hope? Uh, what is the, uh, uh, what, it, what, what are we looking forward to? He says here in, in verse 5 of Colossians 1 that it is laid up for us in heaven. If we look in verse 27 of Colossians 1, uh, Paul makes this comment that... Um, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there, that verse kind of gives us now finally the final answer. The hope of glory is actually the hope that is set before us. Uh, in Ephesians, he states it again, just uh, looking at this verse that we may know what is the hope of His calling. You know, uh, and I believe that hope of His calling can mean different things. It can mean uh, something that uh, we anticipate in, in God, God's work in our life, even here. But ultimately, the hope is that eternal kingdom. It's the eternal kingdom that we get to be a part of as believers. That is the hope. Uh, you know, this, this, this life and where we're at now is a part of the scope of things, but God really has His eye on an eternal kingdom. A kingdom of peace where all evil will be done away. God has His eye on that. He, he, that is what He is working toward. And uh, it is that hope that the believer has in his heart as he goes through life, knowing that uh, this is just a short time. Uh, this life is just a short little vapor compared to eternity in the kingdom of Christ and in the kingdom of God. And that is the hope that uh, God actually wants us to understand that hope. Uh, and what is the, uh, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. And as Hebrews says, that it is an anchor for our soul. Uh, God does want us to understand that that uh, that uh, that calling or that future hope that we have uh, of a kingdom of an eternal kingdom uh, with Christ uh, with God uh, and that that very hope in our breasts that that what we are awaiting for 
is an anchor for our soul while we're here today. While we're going through this life. And life as we know it isn't always uh, a bed of roses. It's not always ease and and pleasantness and and, uh, not always what we hoped it might be. But that hope of an eternal kingdom is an anchor for our soul. And we need it today. Uh, We do. Uh, uh, Melvin Kaufman asked me a question in Africa there when we met him briefly just before he returned to the States. Uh, and we, we went to Ivuna. He said, Ken, how long are people going to be able to be, uh, practice their faith in America? It kind of stunned me a little, although I knew it was real, but the, at the pace that things are moving and at, at uh, you know, all these uh, uh, requirements uh, of uh, you know, acceptance, acceptance of sin and, uh, and, and all these things that are being hammered today. And... Uh, He's right. He's right. We are living in a, in a, in a very fast-changing America. And uh, how long are we going to be able to live out our faith? We don't know. How long will it be until uh, I might find myself behind bars because I didn't uh, accept uh, you know, someone who was a homosexual or something like that. Or I just opened my mouth against it or something. We don't know. But it's moving at an incredible pace. Uh, and this really doesn't uh, refer to the spirit of the age necessarily, but I actually read a short article, uh, news article, where yesterday a pastor was actually shot as he was preaching. And there's no indication given why he was shot, but, uh, and I'm not aware that there was anything going on where he was saying things that was offending the crowd. There, there was no indication of that, but... He was preaching a revival message and someone gunned him down. We don't know the cause, but that's the world we're living in. Uh, So, God desires that we would understand the hope of His calling. Uh, You know, as I said, God's been in in eternity future from way back in eternity past. He He knows exactly where this nation is going. He knows exactly what we're going to face. He knows exactly what our children are going to face. Our grandchildren, he knows exactly what's coming. Uh, May we anchor ourselves in that anchor of hope. uh, Where we realize this is a short time compared to eternity. This life is a short time. Even at its best of 70 or 80 or 90 years, it is just a little vapor compared to eternity. And if we need to endure hardship and suffering... Uh, in this life, we do need to put it in perspective of eternity and of that future hope, that kingdom, that eternal kingdom, where, uh, you know, eventually, uh, in the culmination of Christ and His eternal kingdom, He will put all evil behind Him. And there will be a kingdom of peace uh, where God's people will be with our Lord and for all eternity. And that is our hope. And God desires us to understand that hope. God desires us to delight in that hope. God desires us that that hope would be an anchor and would help us, would strengthen us, would motivate us, would keep us in uh, the difficulties of life. That hope has been an anchor for many in the past. 
think if we read the Martyr's Mirror, we would we discover that, and uh, it uh, it it can be an anchor for us. <clears throat> All right, we do want to keep moving here. The next uh, point we like to just talk about a little bit is uh, the next phrase given here, that. Uh, The end of verse 18, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, this this actually is saying that that God wants us us to understand that uh, he has an inheritance in us. In other words, uh, you know, the scripture speaks about an inheritance that we have. You know, inheritance is kind of like an asset or a benefit or something. But this verse indicates an inheritance that we are to Him. An asset, a benefit, a blessing that we are to God. And uh, He's desiring that we would understand that. What the riches of the glory, the wealth of glory that we are to Him. Imagine that. <laughs> Us. But that's the gist that we get in that verse. If we... Um, if we look at uh, verse 6, it says here, uh, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Uh, there again, th- that, that verse 5 is speaking of the adoption that we spoke about uh, again several weeks back. And uh, that, you know, as believers, we are adopted into a family by Jesus Christ. And that all results in, equals praise to Him, to His glory, to His name. Uh, We become a praise to Him. Uh, Those of us who have trusted in Christ, we get an indication of that in verse uh, 12 also, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. That that, uh, uh, we are actually, as believers, we, we become... We become recipients of glory to Him. Uh, no, not recipients. Yeah. <laughs> not re- we're not the recipients. He is the recipient from us. Kind of hard to describe it, actually. But the short of it is a life, a, 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 a person who puts their faith in Christ and walks with Christ, walks with God through life, is a glory to God. It results in glory to God. It results, it, it's, it's a blessing to God. God uh, uh, considers that an inheritance to Him. <clears throat> it's actually not a lot of scriptures that speak to that end. But uh, we do get that just here. Alright, I'm going to keep moving here. The next uh, comment we'd like to look at is in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. Not in this world only but also in that which is to come. Has put all things under His feet. Gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. God desires that we would understand the greatness of His power toward us. <clears throat> you know, as we think about uh, 
power. Uh, one, maybe we could just make this comment about Paul in, in Philippians 3 verse 10. Paul made this, uh, made, uh, shared this thought that he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It was one of the, one of the passions of Paul's heart was to know God, to know Christ, and to know the power of his resurrection, to actually experience it in his life. When we think about power, and as this scripture gives us here in Ephesians, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, when we think about power, we could ask the question, you know, what is power? Um, obviously, there's all sorts of different forms of power. And uh, somewhere here, we want to get it down to what God is actually meaning by power here. But let's think about power just a little bit. You know, in order for power to be manifested, there needs to be some opposing force that it is overcoming. You follow that? In order for power to be manifested, there must be some sort of an opposing force. Let's just say, use the example of a... Uh, uh, we'll use the first of all a horse. If we have a horse and a one-bottom plow, uh, we take that plow and we put her in the dirt, and uh, maybe the horse will stop because there's resistance. He's walking forward, and you put the plow in the dirt, and maybe the horse will stop because there is resistance. There's something that is resisting him. But then he engages his muscles and he starts to go. Now he's demonstrating his power. And all of a sudden he overcomes that opposition back there and he drags that whole thing all the way down the field and back and forth and eventually gets the whole field turned over. He demonstrated, that horse demonstrated that his power was greater than the opposition. Well, you take that into a tractor. You know, now you got a lot of horsepower. Well, you get a big plow behind it. That tractor can look ever so pretty sitting there, but until you put the plow in the ground and let her go to work, you're not going to really know what you have. You know, that's a little bit how it is with God. You know, God's power is demonstrated in our lives when there is a problem, when there's an opposing force, when there's something going on that is beyond us. That's when the power of God is really only manifested. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I'll admit, I often feel more comfortable when I'm in situations that are, quote, in my control, are manageable to me. But can God demonstrate his power if I never, if he never puts me in situations that are, you know, beyond my control? He can't. But when things get beyond my control... Now God has some, he can, he can go to work. He can start demonstrating himself through me or to me and through me. <clears throat> and so uh, God, in this, in this scripture, he says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? You know, What, what is the greatest uh, opposing force that we may as human beings might face? Think about that a little. Uh, it's actually found in this scripture. It says here that uh, 
according to his to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. What happened to Adam and Eve when they took of their forbidden fruit in the garden? Scripture says that death passed upon all men. You know, there really is no greater opposing force to life than death, is there? There isn't. There is no greater opposing force to life than death. When Christ, when God raised Christ from the dead, He overcame the greatest force that is opposing life. And so any other problem, any other difficulty, anything else is, falls somewhere underneath that. He tackled the worst enemy that, in fact, Scripture even uses that kind of terminology somewhere. I forget now where it is. But the last enemy to be put under his feet is going to be death. He did put it under his feet in his, in, in his own experience. He didn't put it under his feet in the experience of humanity yet. But he will. And he's going to overcome that in our lives as well at some point. But uh, when, when God raised Christ from the dead, he tackled the most, uh, the, 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 the most powerful opposing force that could ever uh, oppose life. And so when he, when he conquered that one, he had all the rest. And so, uh, as we as human beings, let's just think for a few minutes on what some of the opposing forces are that we would face. Maybe discouragement would be one. That is an opposing force, isn't it? It's, it's something that goes to work in our lives. It does not encourage us in God. It does not lead us uh, toward God, does it? It does not... Uh, Build us up in faith. It's an opposing force. It, ha- it has a different direction in mind. But God has power to overcome that. Exceeding power to overcome discouragement in our lives. Unbelief would be an opposing force. Uh, it would oppo- oppose faith. There's probably others that would oppose faith. You know, if you think about fear or worry... Those would oppose faith as well. Uh, bitterness would oppose forgiveness. Envy would oppose love. Uh, pride would oppose humility. Uh, lusts or unlawful lusts would oppose purity. You know, there's just a whole list of, of opposing forces that we would face. And we do face in life. But... For all of those opposing forces that would drag us away from God, that would, would, uh, would uh, uh, cripple our faith, that would, would uh, desire to trip us up, God has, through Christ, made available power to overcome every one of them. And not just barely overcome them. It's more like a, a huge tractor with a one-bottom plow, you know. It, there's no competition. The, the plow just can't help but just go down the field, you know. <clears throat> That's the power, the exceeding greatness of his power. You know, I wish I could stand up here and say that as I go through life, I always walk in that power. But I'll be totally honest, I don't always. I find myself at times needing to cry out to God for that power. I find myself at times having to say, Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, help. I need grace. I need strength. I'm facing something here that's greater than me. 
But that's why this is written. That's why God wants us to understand it. That uh, we have, that we would, uh, we would by faith grasp a hold of that power when we need it, and when our when our moments of difficulty are come. <clears throat> I think we would all acknowledge that we need it all the time, but we also recognize there are those moments when we desperately need it, find ourselves in overwhelming situations. <clears throat> And we need God. All right. We'll move on here. Um, the next point we'd like to consider just a bit in this scripture also. In uh, verse 21, it says here that he, it, it's continuing the context how he raised Christ from the dead, set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. You know, God does desire that we would understand Christ's position of authority. Um, it says here that He set Him at His own right hand, and He set Him far above all principalities, all powers, all might, all dominion, any name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And basically... With, with, with absolutely no doubt, God has given Christ an exalted place above everything. <laughs> everything. Every other name that is named. There's no power. There's no principalities. There's, no, there's, no, there's just nothing that comes close uh, in authority as does our Christ. And uh, that's important for us to know and to realize uh, for one thing, we can re- uh, recognize from this scripture, and there's other scriptures that would bear out this fact, there are principalities, there are powers, there are other uh, spirits. Uh, they do have a place to work, and they do function, but they are all subject to our Lord Jesus Christ. He has all authority. He can stop any one of them at any given moment that He wants to. He can rebuke any one of them away at any given moment. He can, he can stop them in their tracks. He can, he can, you know, they just have no, no room to work unless He has permitted them that space. And we, we know that uh, you know, the Scripture clearly indicates that you know, there's, there's various... Uh, Development's going to happen in the end times. It's going to look like evil is prevailing. It's going to, a lot of things are going to happen. That is all happening while Christ is seated at the top seat of authority. And it's only happening because He has given it space to happen. But ultimately, He is going to deal with it. At one, you know, at some point, He will bring all evil under Him. But uh, we need to realize that as we go through life. And, uh, you know... Sometimes, you know, men can be fearful and uh, men's ambitions and goals can be fearful. And, but, hey, let's remember Christ has a place of all authority. And He is our Lord. <clears throat> and that He will ultimately, uh, in the end... They eventually, all powers will actually be subjected to Him. Just going to turn to First Peter three. 
verse 22, talks here about um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That verse just confirms what we've already been saying, that uh, he, he is in, in uh, the top place of authority. And uh, we can find comfort in that because he is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's the one who we trust in. And any other, uh, any other, um, you know, whatever demons or devils or men or whatever they come up with against Christ, we can be assured that Christ is still on His throne and His seat of authority, and and uh, they will only be able to go as far as He allows them to go. <clears throat> All right. Next point in uh, verse. Uh, 22, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. I'd like to just focus on that for a moment. Of course, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know, God also desires that we would understand Christ's position in the church. Uh, he gave him to be the head over all things to the church. You know... Christ Himself is the one who first mentions the church in Matthew uh, 16. Uh, I believe that is... Okay, that is the one where Peter... uh, He told Peter that uh, on this rock I will build my church. That rock being the confession that He is the Christ. Uh, Wherever that uh, confession takes place, the Lord begins building His church in... uh, Verse eight, uh, Matthew 18, is, he also spoke of his church. If there's a problem and you share with uh, an individual and they don't respond, uh, eventually you bring it to the church. And that's, you know, some of the first references to church. Uh, in, uh, of course, it says here that which is his body. We know those scriptures well in Romans and 1 Corinthians where it uh typifies the church as our, you know, uses our human body to typify the church where there's, there's arms and there's feet and there's, uh, you know, and we're many members. You know, we have a, f- a finger and a thumb and how would we write if we didn't have our fingers? And we might think sometimes, well, this member is small. It's hardly needful. But uh, every member is necessary. And so we have those scriptures that give us that that picture of Christ being the head and, and the church, us, being His body, being the hands, the feet, like was said earlier here. <clears throat> and God desires that we would understand Christ's position as the head of the church. Let us be encouraged. Uh, let us be encouraged that this is not our plan. This is not our idea. Let us be encouraged that He is active in His church. He is the head of the church and we we want to be functioning under Him. And that, you know, uh, when complexities come, we have a head to go to. We have a head who wants to give us direction. And we can trust Him. We can cast our all upon Him. Uh, We can... 
if we will follow the Word of God and, and its teachings concerning our lives personally, our lives as a body, and uh, He'll guide us. He'll be that head. He'll, he'll give us the wisdom we need as we go. He'll direct us many times through His Word and by His Spirit guiding us to that Word that we need in a given moment. <clears throat> God desires that we would understand that. Christ's position in the church. You know, we live in a, in a, in a, in a kind of a confused world of, of professed Christian faith and one can look at it and say, well, now where's Christ in all of that, you know? And I don't know where Christ is in all of that. You know, you have just such a total mix of a variety of churches. There are some situations where I know we can be sure where Christ is at. Is Christ in a church where there's, uh, I hate to use these terms, it seems to defile the church, but, you know, some of these latest things that are going on in the world and they're happening in the church. Is Christ in a church where sinners are in the pulpit? Let me say it that way. We know that Christ isn't there. Uh, So, some of that confusion isn't confusing at all. There's a profession of faith, but there is no real faith in some of those many some of those situations. However, let's not let that discourage us. Christ is still building his church. Christ still is the head of his church. He still wants to be the head of a body. And watch and have those members working and activated through him as his spirit works and moves. He's still he's still uh that is his goal. Let's not get confused by all the mishmash of Christianity that's out in the world. But let's pick up the Word of God, study it, love it, embrace it, and walk with Him. He'll take care of the rest. That's not our problem necessarily. Uh, let's just uh, make sure that He's the head of our church. He's the head of our lives. That we're giving Him His place uh, to be that head and we're under Him. <clears throat> So God desires that for us. He is, as, as his last verse says here in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. You know, there again, that's a, a precious verse because his body is the fullness of him. You know, Christ needs a body. He does. And we are that body. We have that privilege. We have that opportunity. And then he's the one that fills us. You know, you, you don't get to the end of these marvels, do you? The marvels of the faith. He's the head. Okay? He needs a body. Well, then he fills the body. He's just everywhere, if we'll let him be there. <clears throat> and so it's a wonderful thing. Uh, and God desires that we would understand those things, that we would appreciate it, that we would delight in it, that our hearts would be encouraged by it that our faith would be strengthened by it, that we, would, uh, that we would be motivated and thrilled to be a part of His great kingdom and His great work. God does desire that, uh, that uh, we would understand some of these truths. And I say some because we've only spoke of a few here this morning and there's many more. That God does desire that we would understand and appreciate and love and live in the reality of them. So may God bless your hearts this morning.
with these few thoughts and inspire your hearts to, uh, again, be all you can be for God in uh, the short life that God gives you. If we can, let's uh, stand together for prayer. Father, we're grateful here today as we again pause in your presence. Thank you for your word and the revelation of truth. Thank you, Father, for your spirit that gives us understanding. And truly, we do desire, Father, to to be in such a place in our relationship with you that your spirit can work freely to develop our understanding of you, your will, and your word. Bless each one present here. Father, you again, you know and understand each of our journey. And where we find ourselves, I pray a blessing of grace upon each heart. Minister to each need. Strengthen any fainting heart. Lift up any feeble knees. Make straight paths, Father, for any that have perhaps uh, wavered a bit, Lord. God, we pray, may your spirit continue to inspire and strengthen us in our faith. And Lord, do grant us to walk worthy of Christ in this day in which we live, we ask in Christ's worthy name, with thanksgiving. Amen. <clears throat> Maybe seated.